Welcome to the Michigan in Focus podcast powered by the Center Square. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Michigan in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. We ask you to subscribe to Michigan in Focus wherever you listen to your podcast. We're recording today's podcast on Thursday, November 3rd, 2022. And joining me today, as he does every week, is Michigan's own man about town and correspondent, Scott McClellan. How are you today, Scott? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well, but, uh, you know... it's time to catch up on our sleep because we've got a big night ahead of us. You and me, pal, we're going to be in the trenches dealing with the November 8 election. You ready? It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. Well, listen, you put together a list of stories, so you should be prepared to talk a little bit about the election. But, uh, but before we jump into that, Let's talk about, well, the last couple of years, there's been this little thing called a pandemic that's been, um, well, I've heard rumors about it. And I also heard rumors that there was billions of dollars floating around and going to state governments and local governments and Michigan schools. And you did a little bit of legwork. And I I should say, I mean, we shouldn't downplay this. You did a heck of a lot of work on this, uh, submitting uh, numerous FOIAs to different schools to find out what they did with their COVID recovery money. And uh, that includes, well, support dogs and massage chairs. So tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I've been trying to track... I've been trying to track about $6 billion that Michigan schools are spending uh, to recover from pandemic learning. And the schools took a ton of different approaches, ranging from extended summer school to support dogs or even uh, building a new amphitheater. Spending records obtained by more than 90 requests uh, show that schools are um, deploying, uh, they're making smaller class sizes. They're adding tutoring and they're making a ton of facility improvements. So, for example, Grand Ledge Public Schools is spending $90,000 on facility support dogs. How many dogs do you get for $90,000? That's that's a good question. Not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure the training cost is almost like 10K per dog. So, I mean, it's like private school for dogs. Okay. Wow. So, we have parochial dog schools now that's that's kind of kind of nifty well yeah and and, uh where was the the amphitheater i I believe that was in harrison yeah harrison community schools okay and harrison for those who uh are in southeast michigan who may not get up north or north of flint uh harrison is just north of claire so that's just a just past the midpoint of the mitten. So, okay, uh, amphitheater, this is for the school, and they're going to use the amphitheater for... An outdoor learning space. Yeah. So they're saying that uh, if 
if it gets to the point where COVID is spreading quickly again, they want to be able to pivot out of the classroom, uh, literally outside to this amphitheater. I'm not sure how many months out of the year uh, they're willing to do that. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, they're, the school is spending $460,000 on the outdoor um, amphitheater made of concrete. Okay. Well, I mean, here, here we are, uh, the first week of November and we are in Michigan and it's sunny and 70 degrees right now. And, uh, but I happen to know from a lifetime of experience and that entails many, many decades of living here in Michigan, it gets bloody cold here in the in the winter so uh the months of january and february can get pretty gosh darn bitter yeah they can and harrison uh, community schools is also planning to spend one hundred fifty thousand dollars on activities that promote staff health and wellness including massage chairs for every teacher's lounge yoga and fitness challenges and uh yeah that's so they're also adding staff perks aimed to uh, keep teachers around uh, is on top of retention bonuses and hazard pay. But the schools, okay. mm-hmm. go ahead and keep going. The, the schools have to allocate the elementary and secondary schooling emergency relief by late 2024 and spend it by late 2026. But uh, Esther three spending data, according to the Edunomics lab at Georgetown University, shows that many schools haven't even have barely even started spending the last tranche of COVID money. So for example, uh, Flint community schools has spent 12% or 11.9 million out of its $99 million it received for SR3 okay. funding. All right. <laughs> Time out though. If yeah. they've only spent 12%, they, they, they um, also have given out tremendous retention bonuses in Flint, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that you wrote on this a couple of months ago. So uh, we're talking schools are being, you know, awash in money. And I don't downplay the importance of education. And uh, we, we all hear about how teachers are underpaid and schools are underfunded. But holy Toledo, uh, when there is tremendous amounts of learning loss as a result of the pandemic and the schools being shut down for, well, the governor would say 30 days, but we all know it was a heck of a lot longer than that. You kind of scratch your head and say, gosh, darn it. Don't you think it would make a little bit more sense to use some of that for um, increasing the effective technology for long distance learning or tutoring for students who have fallen way behind during the the pandemic. Those are good points. A lot of the schools have enacted similar programs, uh, tutoring programs, uh, teachers that are assigned to students who have fallen behind, but some of these schools are getting just so much money. uh, They just have it lying around. So, I mean, and some of them are spending it. Uh, so, for example, Dearborn, Dearborn Public Schools is spending $40 million on uh, heat, ventilation and air conditioning upgrades. Um, to me, that just that's a mind blowingly big number just for HVAC upgrades. Well, yeah, but um, this is in Dearborn and it's mm-hmm. a fairly large school. A lot of kids uh, there. 
and there's a lot of a lot of students there. So, um, you know, at, at least we're talking about something that's a little bit more practical, I guess you would say. And you mm-hmm. do need decent HVAC system, especially when we are living in a time of, you know, pandemics and, and what have you. So and and it does get pretty cold here in Michigan in the winter and it does get pretty warm here in the spring and fall months and even if the schools are being used during the summer months. So I could uh I could almost rationalize that a little bit more. Now underneath my desk right now I have Athena the mathematics dog and uh she probably is better at mathematics than I am. But uh I'm I'm just wondering about the value added of support dogs. And uh, again, I don't want to uh, disparage the members of the teaching profession. However, um, massage chairs in the teacher's lounge. I mean, when I grew up and uh, I, I, I went to Catholic schools, the, the teacher's lounge was basically where the nuns went to cop a smoke, you know, so. Uh, I, I guess now that they, there's no smoking allowed in school to quote Brownsville station and Cub Coda, um, maybe the reasonable substitute is a massage chair, but, maybe I'm, so, I'm but- being, I, yeah, I'm being facetious, but Scott, give us the final word on this one. I would just say that uh, it'd be a lot harder to uh, cop a smoke anywhere near schools because a lot of these schools are using or spending down the money on technology that tracks uh, vaping. So that was also COVID money is being used for that as well. So Ah, maybe Hmm. (laughs) I guess so. uh, Big brother is watching you. Wow. Okay, well, let's let's move on to the next topic. We've we've uh, already expended almost half half of our allotted time today on on school spending. But this is you you've done t- tremendous work on this, Scott, and I, I really want to take my hat off to you. And uh, as I do that, I'm probably going to knock my headphones off too. But uh, no, great job on that. And you know, ninety FOIAs and a lot of research, and you have to read through all of that information. That's that's way impressive. So, uh, um, way to go, young man. Way Thank to go. you. So, oh, okay. Now, Wayne County. Now, I remember this, and I'm not sure whether we did a story on it or not last spring during the Mackinac Conference on Mackinac Island. There was a big hullabaloo on a $32 million small business fund that Wayne County was getting involved in. And uh, you wrote the story on this yesterday, on Wednesday. Give us a little bit of background information and what the heck happened? All of a sudden, uh, Wayne County just decided, oh, you know, we were going to kick money in and now we're, they, they had all these ARPA funds the American Rescue Plan uh, federal funds, and uh, they were going to send it to a third party to administer these small business funds. And then they just decided at the 11th hour, nah, we're good. We think we'll just hang on to that money ourselves and we'll administer it here in-house. Yeah. So at the Mackinac Policy Conference, Wayne County committed $32 million of federal COVID relief to small businesses in impoverished areas. But uh, this this week, Crane's uh, Detroit First reported 
that the county pulled the funds about six months later. Give me the background information on this, because it, it, it seems rather abrupt. And uh, how does the organization that the third party organization that was supposed to receive the funds think of what do they think about all this? New Economy Initiative Executive Director Wafa De Niro told me that the news was incredibly disappointing. Uh, De Niro told me, we're going to move forward to do the work. It's just going to look different because it's only $22 million and not the full $54 million. And for context, Wayne County received $339 million of COVID relief. Hmm. And have they announced what they're going to do with the, with the money that they're not giving to the initiative? There, uh, the Wayne County Commission planned a vote uh, this morning, actually. I haven't been able to see if they approved it, but uh, they were planning to vote on about $47 million of, of um, spending. And that includes uh, $20 million for Detroit's Joe Louis Greenway, $9.6 million for Dearborn Parks, and possibly my favorite, about $2.3 million for a park in Taylor to possibly add a BMX track and a slackline course. So I know where I can find you. Mm -hmm. I know where you're taking your next vacation, Scott. (laughs) You're going to be on the BMX course in Taylor, Michigan. Wow. So for for more background, the group NEI has historically helped small businesses in Detroit, but it wants to expand to Inkster, River Rouge, Ecorse, and Melvindale, all which are, uh, which Denaire told me are underserved communities of color in which businesses had some of the highest denial rates in the county for paycheck protection loans. Wow. Mm-hmm. So good luck starting a small business or uh, expanding your small business or keeping your small business afloat uh, after, it's, after this. It's just brutal and, that and, they announced this six months ago and then they now they're pulling it. But I talked to uh, Luz Meza. She's the director of the Wayne County Economic Development Department. And uh, she gave me a statement saying that Executive Director Warren Evans' administration has contributed more than $60 million of small business relief and remains committed to supporting small businesses. You're right, but just not in the areas where the initiative was going to expand into. Yeah, it's it's unclear. The uh, I watched part of the uh, a wink. Wayne County Commissioner's meeting earlier this week, and uh, they also seem blindsided by this because the option did not even get to the to the commission. So it had to be approved by the executive and then moved to the commission to vote on. So uh, it, it really wasn't even up to the commissioners, it appears. Gotcha. Okay, well, everybody's been waiting for it. And here we are. It is. November 3rd as we record this and this will be our last podcast recording on before Tuesday's election. Scott, what have you been following this election season? A whole lot, way too much in my opinion. Okay. Well, uh, you're working on a story today. I, I you haven't filed it yet, but uh this is about uh the Flint election lawsuit. And uh, that uh, a judge dismissed yesterday on Wednesday and essentially the judge dismissed the case based on 
standing rather than uh, the merits of the case itself. So this was a suit that was filed by the Michigan GOP and the national GOP, uh, where they said that there was a disproportionate number of Republican election officials compared to uh, Democrat election officials, because this is in Genesee County and which is my home county. And we, we know that there's a, a majority Democrat in this area. So um, what, 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 what are the details of the case, Scott? So the GOP claims that out of 682 election challengers hired, only 120 or 17 percent are Republicans. So the lawsuit says that the board failed to satisfy its clear legal duty to appoint an equal number of election inspectors from each political party. Well, this is something that's been going on for quite some time. And exactly. uh, It's usually just litigated post-election. Right, right. Well, this has been going on for for at least since uh, the primary in mm-hmm. August, and when this w- when uh, the GOP wrote a letter to the uh, Genesee County election official, uh, she resigned the next day, and. Now we're starting from scratch and then the judge dismissing it yesterday because he said that the GOP did not have standing to bring a lawsuit. And but that leaves the whole concept of the merits of the case open for the appeal. But again, like you said, and uh, you said so succinctly, uh, nothing's going to happen until after November 8th. Yeah. I, I talked to Flint city attorney, William Kim, uh, who called the lawsuit frivolous uh, in a statement. Kim said frivolous lawsuits used to create political theater have no place in our judicial system. But I talked to the GOP and they are planning to appeal the ruling. Okay. And I mean, do they have a, a more salient comment than, than that? Uh, they just re I believe they reused a quote from whenever they filed the lawsuit. Well, I know that they've also filed uh, similar suits in Wisconsin. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, this is not uncommon. And uh, as far as I know, the judge in Wisconsin didn't have a problem with it so that they didn't dismiss it. But. Uh, it's an election year, and as we both know, um, and I know probably better than you, simply because I'm decades older than you, and I've seen this happen a long time. Election year, stuff happens, and by stuff, you, you understand that I'm cleaning up the language for uh, a general population. So let's move along. Okay, we have. Here in Michigan, one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive uh, house races, U.S. house races. And that is between Alyssa Slotkin and the state Republican Senator Tom Barrett. Again, he's a state senator. And 
Ms. Slotkin is a representative in Washington. So she was in the 8th district and we went through a tremendous amount of redistricting this year as we do every 10 years. And she has is now running for a seat in the seventh district, the newly created seventh district. So uh, Barrett is running against her. The amount of money that's being spent on this, according to Open Secrets, is tremendous, just tremendous. Uh, Slotkin has spent about eight and a half million dollars of her nine point three million dollar campaign war chest. And she still has another two, almost two and a half million dollars of cash on hand. Barrett has spent two almost two and a half million dollars of a total two and a half million dollar raised donations. And he has maybe about $63,000 left. And uh, good thing is the election is just next week because, um, well, it is for Tom at least. So there you have it. So the district maps were with they were redrawn after the the 2020 census, and Slotkin is an incumbent in the eighth district, and uh, the seventh district incumbent is Representative Tim Wahlberg, who is now running in the fifth district. So it it gets a little bit complicated, but uh, uh, the the story that I wrote was basically okay, big money, big big money, and. There's also big endorsements. So you've got Tulsi Gabbard, who uh, made headlines a couple of weeks ago when she launched her podcast by saying that she is no longer a Democrat. And she is campaigning for Tom Barrett, the Republican. Uh, they're both ex-military. As, well, as is Slotkin, she is uh, was a CIA analyst in the Middle East. So uh, a lot of a lot of moving parts are in play here. And the Republican representative from Wyoming, Liz Cheney, who has made big names being on uh, the January 6th committee in Congress, uh and has lost her lost in the primary in her reelection bid. Uh, she has now gone out and was here in Michigan yesterday campaigning on behalf of Slotkin. So uh, the, the woman who beat Cheney, bear with me, listeners, bear with me, Scott. The woman who beat Cheney in the primary is Harriet Hagman. And she has endorsed Tom Barrett. So <laughs> there you go. It gets, uh, like I said, it's, it's pretty complicated, but, uh, there's, uh, one would imagine a, a certain amount of animus between Hagman and, uh, Cheney. And here they are in Michigan, but, uh, Hegman actually did live in Grand Rapids for a while. So, uh, there is the local angle there, even though District 7 is, uh, Ingham County, including, uh, the area surrounding the capital and going down into portions of Oakland County and Livingston County and Shiawassee County. So, uh, it, it's a fairly large district and, 
the race is fairly tight with a seeming advantage for, according to uh, polls compiled by 538, uh, Slotkin has a 72% chance to win and Barrett 28%. So we're, we're looking at... Um, a lot of uh, interesting things happening in this race and the, the governor's race is really tightening up. And uh, I, I don't know if uh, the late night talk show comic host, Stephen Colbert has anything to do with it, but uh, he kind of uh, put his foot in his mouth during his monologue uh, the other night where he suggested that, uh, Tulsi Gabbard had made up a story that she had concocted a story out of thin air during the debate about a man in Dearborn who was complaining about the sexual content in the library books at his child's school and that this individual w- had, could not get satisfaction from Democrats. And he was a former political candidate for some office running as a Democrat switched to Republican to be a Republican. And uh, Colbert made fun of that, um, basically accused Tudor Dixon of, of lying about it. But as it turns out, this guy came out in a video and said, no, no, this is all true. I really exist. I'm a, I'm a real life human being who lives here in Dearborn. So uh, we'll, we'll see how Colbert will uh, come back from that one. Yeah, it's real embarrassing. I mean, even if even if Colbert took the minimum amount of journalism, journalism and Googled this man's name. He's all over. Um, he's been known in this area for, you know, months. So, yeah, it's uh, hurts to see. Right. Well, you know, and that's just one of the things when you have, I'd like to say an East Coast elite, but um, mm-hmm. Col- Colbert is, um, I have a lot of respect when we're, we're both um, adherent Catholics, but uh and takes care of his family. And uh, I think there's a lot personally to admire about the individual, but uh, sometimes, you know, you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. And uh, I think he made a tremendous faux pas, but uh, what are you going to do? And in the meantime, the race is tightening and we uh, will have to see what happens. So, uh, Anything else you want to say before we we close out today, Scott? No, I just had a couple more stories hit my inbox. Well, I think I threw a couple at you too, so I was kind of kind of hoping you would kind of kind of catch those for me. Um, we're we we'll be working on a lot of stories. We'll be up late, if not all night long, on Tuesday, November eighth, covering all the stories and giving readers all the news that's that will fit in their huge Michigan brains. So thank you, Scott. Scott McClellan is the Center Square's Michigan correspondent. Michigan in Focus is powered by the Center Square and is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcast at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Listen for another episode of Michigan in Focus next week.